Hello and welcome to the Second Yellow Pod, a podcast brought to you by the football department at Overtime Heroics. A pod looking at current football affairs, transfers, tactics, scouting, players, wonder kids and all the rest. And of course, not to forget VAR controversy. So sit back and enjoy the Second Yellow Pod. Hello there and welcome to the first episode of the Second Yellow Pod, an exciting pilot episode for what we hope is going to be a long and fruitful podcasting series. Today we look at the Everton job becoming available, some of the Premier League scores, the Covid controversy at Liverpool and Burnley, Watford's transfers, Newcastle's transfers, Villa's transfers, the Scottish national team and failed Scottish wonder kid Ryan Gould, as well as a quick look at a wonder kid you've never heard of that might fit your team perfectly. So we find ourselves at the end of another Premier League match day, um, one that hasn't been too badly affected by coronavirus, although Burnley-Leicester City was postponed. Another Burnley game that's um, that's been postponed, which is also slightly contentious because it does seem that out of the clubs that are using coronavirus as a kind of excuse to get the matches in the time when most players are fit and most players are are ready to play. Burnley and Liverpool are definitely up there um, from my kind of outside perspective. Yeah, wasn't there something to do with Liverpool's? The, they claimed they had like so many false positives, but the actual chance of getting a false positive is like 0.001% or something. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was they were trying to keep players healthy for the FA Cup tie with Arsenal, of course, that happened two days yeah. ago. And, and Klopp came out and said that it turns out we had 10 false positives or is something along those lines i remember seeing the tweet and it's like there was more chance of of being struck by lightning seven days in a row than there was of getting that many false positives which is just really it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth because especially for champions like liverpool who we can all agree are such such a good team and such a good team to watch it's just a bit it just it just smacks of of kind of slight cheating and foul play just to get get their way um which is sad because i am a big fan i mean i'm a watford fan but i'm a big fan of watching liverpool and seeing liverpool do well yeah but in fairness to them this season there's not been much of them doing well um i feel like that the aging of their midfields causing them a lot of problems and i don't know if the stallings maybe yeah they're not buying anyone actually so it's, it's like they've got milner and henderson in midfield now and they don't have the legs that they did two years ago when they were running everyone ragged and mm. you know the creativeness didn't matter now it's I don't know it, it doesn't feel like the same sparks there at Liverpool anymore yeah no definitely and they don't seem to be reinvesting in the squad as much as I'm sure Liverpool fans fans would hope I think bringing Ibrahim Okanate was a brilliant acquisition in the summer I think it was only about 30 million pounds from RB Leipzig and he didn't actually play much at RB Leipzig for the past two years but when he's been playing this season he has looked brilliant and the, the match I'm thinking about is uh, the I think it was AC Milan at um, at the San Siro and he just looked for someone who's I, I, I'm not sure how old he is I think he's about 22 years old he just looked way above his age looked so mature looked so calm and composed on the ball 
And I think Ibra said afterwards that he's going to go far. And I mean, if you're going to get praise from anyone, then Ibra's probably the one you want to get praise from. Yeah, no, I, I remember watching that game as well. And I thought, I was confused as to why he's not kind of cemented down that mm. like starting spot yet. And I I don't know, has he been injured for most of the time? I, to, to be honest, I'm a I'm quite a big fan of um, Joel Matip. I mean, I, I'm not sure if, I, I think Canate was injured at some point, but I think Joel Matip and Van Dijk are a, a, a really quite a good partnership. And I feel like Joel Matip's kind of underrated, actually. Um, I think it's, I'm, I'm, I think I'm right in saying his contract is actually ending soon, um, unless Liverpool have renewed it. But if if I were them, I'd definitely look to get him on a new on a new deal. He's not on the you know lower like yeah. part of his twenties. Whereas you've got Kanati there, who's he's younger, he's very very good, mm-hmm. and if you can get him in and form a partnership with Van Dijk as early as possible, you've possibly got another partnership there that could go three, four, five years. Yeah. No, completely. Um, I've just looked, and Matip's contract doesn't run out till twenty twenty four. So it, it's tricky because it's the same with Van Dijk. He hasn't exactly looked like the player he was in their title winning season since he had uh, after that long term injury last year. Uh, since he's come back, but it's it's a question of whether he is still playing as well. There's just less of a spotlight on him, and what he does isn't something that is really noticeable, like a striker scoring goals, like a winger putting in the assists. It's it's tricky, but I mean, when his debut season with Liverpool or the the season that they uh, won the Champions League, uh, the Premier League at least, he was he was something else. He was ridiculous, um, and I saw a lot of people trying to find ways to bring him down on Twitter, which is the the typical, you know, kind of United or Arsenal tactic of finding any little thing you can. But I I thought he was that season was one of the best defensive performances of any Premier League centre half. You know, since the likes of Vincent Company, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, um, Vidic, etc., etc. No, no, I agree. I do agree. I just, I don't know. There's just something off at Liverpool. There's not. It's not. I don't know if it. I don't think it's the manager. I, I think there is just a possible. The owners don't want to open the wallet at all, and you know, bring anyone in. It's not like they need a revamp of the team. They maybe need mm. a midfielder or two. Yeah, no, but I think they were crying out for that in the summer when Gini Wijnaldum obviously left to PSG. Where, by the looks of it, he's really he hasn't kicked on very well there. They a lot of the fans were crying out for a new midfielder, and they just didn't seem to get what they what they wanted. And it's it's nice to see Naby Keita getting more minutes because I think Naby Keita is a really good player, and he's obviously had his injury struggles and settling in in general. Um, but it's nice to see him getting more game time and and, and playing well. No, I agree. It's, it pains me to say this, but do you know who I think would be absolutely perfect for that Liverpool team? John McGinn. <laughs> like, if, you can, if you can tell, I, Cam is Scottish and also a Villa fan. So no, I, I, I don't want towards... <laughs> I, I would I would not want Liverpool to take him, but I just think with what Klopp asks for those midfielders, they don't need to be, you know, playmakers or anything. He, he needs them to be workhorses that will close down, mm. you know, create... Space for the, you know, Salah, Manny, yeah. Jota, Firmino, whoever plays ahead, they need to basically facilitate for them. And I think as much as it pains me to say it, I, I can't think of anyone that's got the same work rate as McGinn. Yeah. 
his yeah, stats absolutely. are ridiculous when it comes to you know work rate, distance covered, and everything. Well, I, I think I think um, Abdullah Decore would be someone else that would be brilliant. And and yeah. the way Everton are playing at the moment, it wouldn't be surprising if he wanted <laughs> potentially a move away already. Whether he would, um, you know, make that whatever it's five hundred meter trip to the other the other side, so to speak, of Liverpool. Um, I think he's been injured actually for a few for a few weeks or months even, but he started off this season absolutely brilliantly. And as a Watford fan, we all knew this was coming. He was under Ancelotti. He wasn't used in the right system. He wasn't used in the right role. He was he was constricted his ability, and it's nice to see under Rafa. Maybe one of the few positives under Rafa is that he has really been able to shine, um, which definitely puts a smile on my face as a Watford fan. Yeah, no, he'd be perfect as well. I think Liverpool just need a bit of a fresh and up in that midfield, some legs and like, someone like McGinn or Dakota would be perfect for them. Um, another one that I thought they could have gone for is Ward-Price, another mm. one-course midfielder, but he's also got a bit more about him in terms of football and ability, I think, than the other two. Yeah. They offered us, they wanted 40, I think it was, when Villa were trying to get him in the summer, and we've quoted more than 50 from Man United for him again when they were interested. Of course. And that was like a year ago in his first year in the Premier League. So it's like, now he's Scotland player of the year twice. He's, every, like the pundits seem to rave about McGinn. Even when I watch him and I think he's been stinking, the pundits will talk yeah. about his work rate non-stop and it's like, all right, like, I love McGinn. But there's some games where, I don't know, I just feel like they're trying to push him to, you know, the players that the pundits just seem to take a liking to. Completely. And you completely. tend to feel like they're edging towards them getting a move to United. Well, you like jobs well, for on boys. The, on, the, on the same note, it was the same with Takure. We had a midfield of Takure and Etienne Capu, or um, a double pivot of Takure and Etienne Capu. Capu kind of staying back and being more that playmaker from deep, and Takure being able to push forward and kind of able to go from one box to the other. But it seemed that not just the pundits, but every fan are going, that Dakure, he's by far Watford's best player. Oh, look out for this man, Dakure. He's been brilliant. He was man in the match last week. And every Watford fan would think, would thinking that it's, it's not the case. Kapu every week would consistently outshine him. And I'm not saying Dakure is not a good player. It is testament to how good Etienne Kapu was at Vicarage Road. Yeah, so, no, I, I get that completely. Villa's comparison, they would probably be Douglas Luiz. He is... In my opinion, and a lot of other Villa fans, he's absolutely brilliant for us, especially played in a higher role because yeah. he's not a number six. He's he's good and like he works hard enough that he can make do, but he's a good, very like creative footballer. He's silky yeah. on the ball. He, he looks to go past players. He's got a great eye for a pass. But you do think, and at the times like the, the Villa midfield, you'll, you'll hear praise about McGinn nonstop. Jacob Ramsey's getting it now justifiably as well. Br- but he was like, brilliant today, by the way. He was I, at least for the second half. He was my. Oh, he, my no, man he, of was. Match. he was. He was unbelievable. He deserved man of the match, but first half he was giving it away every time. And but fair, fair play to him at that age to come back from being two 0 down at what nineteen years, having mm, a stinking of a first half and getting first, a goal. First goal at, at Villa Park as well. Yeah, boyhood Villa fan as well. So yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting about. Uh, Douglas Louise, because I watched him um, in when you played United in the FA Cup not long ago. I thought he was brilliant. I, I mean, a lot of most of your team were playing really, really well, but I thought Douglas Louise was one of the standout. He was really good on the ball. He was carrying it forward. He was looking for that pass. He was making the plays. And against the United, maybe not the best United side, but it was still really impressive. That's why I think a lot of Villa fans are 
kind of frustrated that we're not more active for a, a number six apart from, you know, Bizuma, which I guess that's a segue into that topic, the moral <laughs> situation there. Would, mm. would you think, do you think anybody should be going in for him at the moment? It's, I, I don't it's, it's see really tricky. Would. It's really tricky because we, we don't know. I don't want to be one of those people that's like, you know, he hasn't been charged. He hasn't, he's, you know, innocent till proven guilty because it, by the sounds of it, he has done something kind of apprehensible. And, yeah. um, but at the it's, same time, it's really, it's like, it's, do you spend money on someone that's got an active court case that could? Exactly. Like, is it exactly. Like, but not, not like, even, not even just the, the monetary side. Is it, is it morally right to sign a player that has, done something that i'm sure all your all the villa fans would consider disgusting and, and horrible is that someone you want playing for your club representing your club with your badge so no but the thing with villa is that there's a lot of villas turned around in the last three years in a, in a better moral way like things just seem like a more community club so if villa sign them it will be interesting to see if it's a case of you know Villa have got their lawyers to look into yeah. themselves and you know see themselves and be like, no, look, he's probably going to walk from it. So, mm. or if it's a case of they're just taking a gamble, which I don't like, I really don't like because I'm not wanting to stand up here and say he's guilty because he's obviously he's not been charged. But I, I, again, I'm not going to speak on someone that's not done it because I don't want to put someone down that hasn't been charged yet. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, do you pay any money for anybody in a court case like that? Yeah, no. Can I don't um, think what, they should be? I mean, you know, it could turn out as as horrible as the Ben Mendy case, which I feel like hasn't really been talked about a lot. Um, but I mean, he's not he's not going to be playing football ever ever again by by the sounds nah. of it, at least the reports I've read, and and rightly so. He should he deserves to rot in prison if if as what I've read wash, is correct. How does the wash football? Like allegation case like that, I think in yeah. a long, long, long time. Well, I mean, since probably Marcus Alonso is the other one that comes to mind with his um drunk drink driving murder, which um yeah, I, I believe was it was it when he was at Bolton? Was it in England? I might be wrong, but I thought um, it, was, uh, it may have actually been. I don't know. Let me it, maybe check. or maybe it was Italy when he was at uh, oh, I think it was Fiorentina. Um. But even so, it was ridiculous. He, for people that don't know, he he basically was driving home after a night out and crashed, at, I believe, eighty or ninety miles per hour into a brick wall, and he was way above the limit. I think he was three times above the limit, and the passenger died, and he was lucky and got away without too much injury. Uh, I believe, actually, I think it was in it was in Madrid. Okay, yeah. and um. And I, I, I believe he's, he, he got a fine and was banned from driving for a few years. And that, that was it. And it's just, it's just really, really difficult to understand how the rules apply differently. And maybe it's because he was rich and because he had a reputation and because he was a footballer. But that's not right. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to get away with what they want to do just because nah. they're in that position. No, nah, and that's... I think a lot too many footballers get away with drink driving too. Like mm. it's a very serious offence, and it it doesn't get treated as such. And it's it's silly because the lack of seriousness around a drink driving offence means that 
you see players getting done three or four times and then losing the license for it and it's not yeah. like irregular to see that even and it's well as a bit of fan i think waking up to a news report about jack Grealish. um that's kind of <laughs> where i was going I, i'm yeah. not trying to like you know put Grealish down when he's regressed as a player clearly however ah, <laughs> that's that's an, that's another interesting topic i do you think he's someone that suits being the star in a team and then he's put in a team where he's surrounded by all this this class and suddenly he doesn't have the responsibility or the the importance and then his his stardom kind of fades away a little bit if you know what i mean i don't think that's the issue because when he went to england and whenever he plays mm. for england it seems to be one of your better players and he's not your biggest name player there. It might be the most no. expensive, but you've got like Kane and Rashford who are obviously media yeah. darlings. And, yeah. But at the Saka, same time, it's... Sterling. Yeah, it's like... I think Grealish has been overcoached. I think he's not the sort of player that you can feed with information to turn into some midfield maestro. He's, I know he's, it's a hard comparison and I'm not trying to say they're the same sort of player, but the only player I can link him to is Gathlein in that sense. You couldn't overflow him with information you just let them go out there, play football, play it the way they want to play it, and they'll create problems for absolutely any team. Yeah. But he's getting yeah. it's it's clearly an instruction thing because Grealish anywhere else he plays, even with England, he picks the ball up and he likes to run with it. He likes to go past players and he'll lull you in, and next thing you know, he's away for you, and you're mm. either fouling him or you know he's he, he does that. But it's City he gets the ball and it's sideways and backwards. He doesn't seem to want to take players on, and I don't know if Pep's maybe try to turn him into more of a creative player because he does have good vision but I don't know it's it's a tricky one and it also might be the case that because I've seen a lot of people slating him and if you do look at his stats he's not he's not not like he's playing woefully you know it's not like he's turning into the biggest flop um for the it's just it's just whether he's justifying that 100 million price tag and being able to replicate his form of the last two Premier League seasons that he, he had with Villa it just doesn't seem, it, everything doesn't seem to be clicking for him. Um, nah, but one thing I will say is that Raheem Sterling didn't get fired in straight away at City and it did take him a little bit of time to turn into the player that he was. Mm, so mm. I wonder if it is a case of Jack's a bit, old, a bit older than Raheem, but at the same time, he's gone to a club like that. He's maybe been asked things that he's not really capable of doing. So they're still trying to figure out the best way to use Grealish. He's still trying to figure out the best way to you know, be a city player basically. Yeah. Because yeah. Without, without talking too much about like anything about the way he left, he has been Villa his whole life, apart from like a six month spell or a year long spell at Notts County on loan. Notts County. But he yeah. was at Villa as like a seven or eight year old. And he came through a youth system, came all the way through, and now he's at a different club. It's a whole new environment for him. And I don't know, there's a lot of different personalities in football. He could just be someone that you know, it's taken a little bit to go because Grealish was always a top prospect at Villa, but he didn't look like the Grealish that we knew until about a year in and playing. One thing that sticks out is Grealish getting us to the FA Cup final when we beat Liverpool in the semis. And Grealish absolutely ran the show as a 17 or 18-year-old. But at that point, he'd already been in the team for a year or two. And I know it's very young to say, oh, he didn't perform, but I'm wondering if he is just a player that takes a little bit more to settle in with a group of players and, you know, he needs to be on the same wavelength as everyone.
we'll have a look at the Premier League and Championship scores that finished today. The early game saw City take on Chelsea. Um, City getting that goal quite late on from Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Newcastle United and my Watford drew with, which was a horribly painful game to watch. Um, and we got an 88th minute equaliser through Jao Pedro, which we desperately, desperately needed. Uh, Norwich City put two past Everton. Uh, quite a shock. And also you feel nail in the coffin for Rafa Benitez, but we'll get on to that. Uh, Wolves beat Southampton 3-1 as Jose Sarr carries on his ridiculously good form in the Premier League. And of course, Villa held United 2-0 at Villa Park after Bruno Fernandes put United 2-0 up. In the Championship, Cardiff City lost 1-0 to Blackburn Rovers, despite Blackburn going to 10 men. Luton Town, and it doesn't doesn't join me to talk about Luton winning, but their game looked pretty ridiculous as they went 2-0 up before Bournemouth equalised to 2-0. Cal Smith scored a 97th minute winner. Uh, Derby County beat Sheffield United as they look hungry for survival. And I think, well, again, we'll get onto that um, with Rooney and, and the Everton job potentially being available. But Rooney has been absolutely brilliant at Derby. He's taken a job no one else, no one else wanted. And he, by the looks of it, might do the impossible. Fulham beat Bristol City 6-2. There were seven <laughs> goals in the first half, which must be a record in the championship. Um, Mitrovic scoring three fire. goals in that, which I believe puts him on 27 Goal or 25 goals <laughs> in 22 games, which is Absurd. utterly ridiculous. Um, I mean, he's got to be one of the best championship strikers. It's 27 goals in 24 games. I mean, that is utterly, utterly mental. Middlesbrough beat Reading 2-1. Huddersfield drew with Swansea City 1-0. Nottingham Forest carrying on their good form, beating Millwall 1-0. Coventry beating Peterborough United 4-1, Preston North End drawing with Birmingham City 1-0 and QPR beating promotion chasing West Brom 1-0. QPR, another team that are looking really, really quite good recently. I just noticed there, because I've got Sky Sports on in front of me and watched Andy Carroll scoring a header for Reading. And I had no idea that he'd found a club and was back scoring goals. Yeah, yeah I think I think Reading. I can't remember who Reading were playing the other week, but he scored two of the best offside goals you will ever see. One of them a volley from edge of the box, and the other one a bicycle kick. <laughs> they were both disallowed, which is he's quite a proper hilarious. weird talent, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like Andy Carroll, he's not. You'd look at his goals and like you'd think he's a proper like Peter Crouch was really good with his feet for being six foot seven. Mm. You'd think maybe. Carroll along the same lines, but he isn't actually that good with his feet. It just seems to score worldies. The overhead kick at West Ham. Yeah, that was that was amazing. I remember that. I, I mind him scoring a few screamers for Newcastle as well. So I think we need to talk about it because Sky Sports have just reported it. But supposedly the Everton board are having an emergency meeting to look at Rafa's job. What what do you think about Rafa? Who do you think should take over at Everton? Uh, and what, what what can you see happening? I, I like your Rooney suggestion. Um, I also wonder if Everton would be, would be willing to take a risk on somebody like, well, Forrest have went out and got someone like Steve Cooper. Mm. And he he's not got, you know, an incredible track record, 
But I wonder if Everton are in need of someone that's just a sturdy manager at the moment that can... I a don't big know. Sam. <laughs> like a modern-day big Sam. Someone yeah. that's able to maybe not come in and transform the team, but stabilise them a little bit, because that is a... It just seems like they're shutting rotten over there at Everton at the moment. Like, um, look at Digne and what's his name? Uh, Bernard. Yeah. He's Yeah, he's said something a bit, you know, suspicious as well, along the lines of things aren't right at Everton and everything and yeah. behind the scenes. and Which is shocking know, for a club that, you know, is, has this massive plan, the new stadium being built, clearly a lot of money uh, they're being backed with. Now, now, you do wonder, so I think I think we all know Rafa's, Rafa's going to go, and I think the appointment of Rafa in the first place was stupid, um, really, playing such negative football for a team that has such high aspirations was never never going to work. But whether Rooney is that fit, whether Rooney's... It's, it's really difficult to say Rooney's, uh, Rooney's not ready yet, whether it's going to be like a Lampard repeat, because what Rooney has done at Derby, as I said before, is nothing short of absolutely spectacular. And as, as man managers go, he's looking like he's going to turn out to be a really, really good... Um, and have a lengthy managerial career, which I'm not sure many people saw when Rooney was still in his playing days. But whether he's the right move, whether that is a is a an appointment that might be clouded slightly by nostalgia, is a is a really it's a it's really tricky to say. I mean, could they go in for someone like Graham Potter? Would would Graham Potter want to make that move? I mean, is that is that sideways? Is that almost a downwards move at the moment? Brilliant, I think, but for I don't know if Potter would go, but I think he would be a fantastic appointment. I think you yeah. get him. I mean, Everton are six places below um, Brighton yeah. and 11 points. I mean, obviously, Everton are looking to the future and having this big, big, amazing plan for the future. But I wouldn't say Brighton are exactly a team that are regressing either. No, but I do think maybe the prospect of a team at the similar level. Maybe no, Everton have got a much better team. A team that aren't mm. performing with way more money and I would say a lot more talent. Mm. I think that's a very, very attractive job offer for them. However, I don't know. Someone I would like to see um coming back to the uh the top the Europe's top five leagues is Roger Schmidt. Um I don't know if you remember, he used to be Bayer Leverkusen manager, and he's currently at PSV, who were top, find themselves top of the league in the Eredivisie above Ajax, despite quite clearly having a worse team. And it looks like he's got them playing really, really good football. Now, whether he would want to move to a team like Everton where they don't have European football, they're not dominant in the league they play in, I still think it's definitely worth a kind of sniff around. Who, who could you see like, Everton going for? I... I think Rooney might be a realistic appointment. I think they might try Rooney. Mm. Um, he's doing very well at Derby, but part of me does worry because I'm not trying to knock Rooney. He's never come across as some great tactician. and There's a lot more to managing in the Premier League than in the Championship. I wonder if it's a lot of heart that's getting them through it now and Rooney's like galvanising them and he's getting them all hyped for every game and pushing them through based on the fact that no one thinks they're going to do it. Mm. Uh, like basically surviving off of the underdog story and I'd like to see how Rooney would work in a, a more stable environment uh, yes it's a testament to Rooney but there's also certain characters that can, that can like 
they can just get more from players, but maybe can't keep up tactically. And yeah. I, I just, I'd, I'd like to see Rooney and I'd, maybe Everton would be the same. Um, yeah. Maybe he could come in and, you know, kind of galvanise them for a bit. And then I think Rooney's real test starts because at the moment, I think the players have bought into him at Derby. And he's, I wouldn't say he's sorted, but when the players buy into you that much and you get such a good start and, you know, no one thinks you're going to do it and then you start having everyone thinking they might actually do it, they can ride off of that for a long time. And I just, I don't know, with it being so early in his career, it's, I think Everett might go for him, but I'm not sure it would be the right option yet. Maybe, maybe in that case, then it would be more sensible to let him finish this, get in a short-term manager, a manager, again, like Big Sam. I mean, this is what they did a few seasons ago. Get Big Sam in, keep them up, and kind of stabilise the ship, and yeah. then wait till the end of the season. And let, you know, let Rooney finish the season with Derby, see if he can keep them up. If he can't, doesn't matter, because he's still done absolutely brilliantly. And then, and then bring him in in the summer and have, let him have a whole transfer window to do what he wants, build his team, and, and go from there. Another good shout would be Hassan Hill. Oh, yes. I think he, with a bit more money to spend, I think he would do very well at Everton because he's not going to have the problem at Southampton that if you have absolutely anybody that has a good season, they'll be off yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and you've got to look at Hassan Hill and how well he's done, considering he lost his top goal scorer um, as well. And I, I think I remember seeing that there's not a Southampton player with more than six goals. So it, it, it does seem like he's really got them playing like a, a team game, if, if that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm not sure he's been able to put a proper stamp on style of football there yet, because I don't know if he's got one or if it's a case he's just adaptable and he'll play with what he's got, or if it's a case hmm. of he's not really got the players to play how he wants to play. Because I've, I've always watched Southampton, and the one thing that I would criticise them for is I don't know what their like style players. Mm. Sometimes I see them going long. Sometimes I see them coming short. They don't necessarily press high all the time. They don't sit too deep, and it's like, well, then maybe that maybe that's that's in a way praise to Hasanutul of his kind of tactical adaptability to be able to see what he needs to do in different matches. I mean, in their last five matches, they've got three wins and two draws, including the FA Cup. In that, I mean, they're they they've hit a good vein of form and I, I stupidly at the start of the season think they'd be dragged into the relegation battle with um Watford and a few others but by the looks of it they're running off to mid-table safety yeah no I I, I think I remember telling everyone at the start of the season that Southampton were going to get relegated but mm. I don't know in terms of they remind me a lot of um Hamilton in Scotland like for a long time, you just expect them to go down and they just would not go down. Mm. What's well, it Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, Newcastle but... for years, it's like, how the you know, Steve Bruce, how have they not gone down? And they've just Sunday. kind of remained here. Yeah. Do you remember them? How <laughs> every single year for about five years, it was asked, and they're going to get relegated and they somehow yeah. pull off some mad escape. Yeah, literally, I, I remember those days when Jermaine Defoe was firing for them. With Big Sam at the helm, that was that's proper football. That is proper proper. And football. then just before that, we had Wigan, like great escape, like two three years in a row. And yeah, is that Martinez and uh, Roberto Martinez. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
that was those were the those were the good old days of, of football when Watford were kind of just in mid-table championship mediocrity. Talking of Watford, um, not that I enjoy talking about Watford, but I'd like to say something about our match today um, and say that that was probably one of the most painful 90 minutes I've seen in a long while. And and that that's not, it was probably predictable considering it was Newcastle um, playing Watford. But both teams just look absolutely shocking and in a Premier League where I think the quality is the highest it's been for years I really can't see how either of us are going to stay up nah no offence but you are toast like <laughs> yeah you, like use Newcastle might just pull it off because they've got enough money to bring in half decent players than I like nobody that's the, where Newcastle want to be is going to even touch them at the moment but the likes of Trippier, you know, good signing for the short term. Um, mm. I'd, it won't do for three, four or five years anymore, but to get them out of this mess and maybe until they find someone new, good signing, would. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a Newcastle signing. Um, I, see, I, I disagree. I right. actually, I think the Trippier signing was far worse than the Chris Wood signing. I think Chris Wood, the Chris signing Chris Wood, I think it's, I think it's fucking brilliant from Newcastle because not only is it a, a complete power play to Burnley, who now find themselves bottom of the Premier League, who are also looking at reports furious that that they activated Chris Wood's release clause, but as the sort of player that Newcastle could do with in a proper relegation scrap, having him lining up with obviously when Callum Wilson comes back from injury, his hold up play is unmatched. Being able to bring Callum Wilson to the game, being able to you know, hold up the ball and allow St. Maximum to find space in behind. I really think Chris Wood will will turn out to be a brilliant signing this season. I mean, today he wasn't he wasn't great. He was quite um, brutal and rough, which probably two words that sum him up quite well. Um, but he he definitely wasn't to his typical Chris Wood um, antics today. I, I think he is a good signing. I just think he's a very Newcastle signing. I, I don't know why it just felt very familiar when he went to Newcastle. I was like, ah, kind of half seen that coming, kind of mm. didn't at the same time. I just thought it's the sort of player Newcastle would go for, but for what they need, he's perfect at the moment. Um, he'll get goals, he'll cause problems, he'll be a pain in the backside to every defence he comes up against. He's a nightmare to defend against, but I wonder if it's a case of they've signed him on big money because they don't really need to worry about the money and he's he's going to be a short-term one as well because I know they, they've got big aspirations and being a club in Villa that have gone from worse where Newcastle are now to where Villa, want, Villa are now like we were yeah. Glenn Beelan three years ago now we've got Coutinho so it's like <laughs> I, for Newcastle they're going to need to be brutal and all these players that Villa fans absolutely adored that helped us get promoted a lot of them are gone now and a lot of them aren't good enough like El Ghazi Hurahan and I, these were players that were brought in for that purpose to improve the club. And I, mm. I don't know if they were all cheap signings. Newcastle are spending decent money on players at the moment. And I, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it because financial fair play is not going to go away. I mean, try and balance out how much you're spending and they, just, they can't keep spending and spending and spending. Mm. No matter how rich they are, it's, it's not sustainable for a club if they're only bringing players in at the moment for a year or two, but they're paying 15, 20 million for them. 
maybe more in some cases. And it's like, why not go out and get younger players? Except that, okay, we might go down, we might not, but let's get players that aren't 26, 27, 28, 29-year-old. Get 20-year-olds, 20, 20 21-year-olds. Maybe one or two experienced players to help out, but get something for the future and spend wisely now. Mm. I think at the moment they're spending very reactionary. They, they, they want to stay up, which is fair dues to them and all that. But if we're being real financially, they don't need to. I don't know yeah. if they're spending 15 million, 20, how much was it they spent on Wood? 25. 25 then. Like, By the they spent 25 million on him. That gives you an obligation to kind of try and make him work it. A longer level you don't have to but i mean it means they're not going to sign him for 25 million and not play him next season no, not play him the year after this like it's it's now it's like do you need to maybe accept relegation well i can link it back here to hibs we got relegated and personally it's the best thing that's ever happened new, and we just new ownership and everything when that happened and it, it gave the club a chance to just scrap everything and build from the bottom and do it the right way. And I wonder if Newcastle, with new ownership, maybe not plan to get relegated, but don't put too much stress on, right, sign Premier League players that are going to help us get up, sign for the future. Just, like, accept, right, we might get relegated, we might not, we're going to give it our best shot, but we're going to get players in that in three, four, five years' time are going to help take us to where they want to be. And I, I, I don't see them doing that just now. I just see them reacting to signings and I know they want to stay up and everything but at the same time build for the future because you don't need to you're not relying on that Premier League money you've got plenty I think that's a very very fair appraisal of um, the state of of Newcastle at the moment I I I don't want anyone to think I'm saying accept relegation but not that just spend wiser and not older players look for someone that's going to be useful in five years time as well as now completely yeah um i must say jolinton today looked i I, i've I've been watching jolinton since he came from germany and it it always it always just did seem the case that he was uh kind of a square peg being fit into a a circle hole or whatever that saying is he's a broken midfield isn't he (laughs) It is it's ridiculous, but the thing is though, I'm I'm surprised it's taken them this long to see that because at Hoffenheim, they spent forty million or whatever it was, thirty five million on him, and his last season at Hoffenheim, he was brilliant. He got six goals, right? They signed him as this kind of number main number nine, going to get all our goals, going to keep us up, twenty goals a season. What what did you expect? And now they're using him, and he's playing deeper than I thought he would be utilised initially. But he looks so, so much better. Much. He's working harder. You can tell this is probably having an impact on his mentality, and he's looking at the game more positively. And I really think he's finding his feet, and he's definitely someone to look out for for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what a change of anything can do for a player in terms of... You could see there was a player in Julian, and it wasn't like he was hopeless at football. It just... It wasn't working for him where he was playing. Mm. It just, nothing went his way. If he was in front of goal, you kind of had a feeling he was going to miss. Whereas now, I bet if you give him the same chances he was getting up front from like breaking into the box from midfield, he put one of them away. He's more mm. assured, he's more confident in himself. And I think that goes a long way in players. And especially players brought in from other leagues that haven't got Premier League experience to kind of reference back to themselves when they're struggling. They, you know, feeling welcome at a club 
helps a lot. And I think that's what Newcastle have finally found with Joe Linton, that, you know, they've put him in a position. He started playing well, the fans are off his back, and he's kept yeah. it up. And, you know, he looks he looks like a different player. Completely. Completely agree. And um, I, I must say something about Hassan Kamara, who is a new Watford signing. 5.5 million from Nice. Um, Ivory Coast International plays at left back, kind of quite an attacking wing back. He was fucking brilliant today. He was unbelievable. He was my man of the match. And whenever he got the ball, he just looked so calm and driving it up the pitch. He has he has one of those players that seems to have quite gangly legs, but that works in his favour that he's able to get his foot in there and win the ball and run off with it. And I'm looking at his percentiles of the last year. And I'm shocked no one else came in for him. And I, I, I think I'm right in saying in the 18-19 season, he was actually in the league on team of the season. And uh, in Nice, under their new manager, who, whose name escapes me, he prefers using the kind of youth prospects and the young players. And that's who they, they used for the first half of this year, despite Hassan Kamara evidently being better. And so he wanted to push a move. And we went in for him. And I honestly think he's going to be absolutely brilliant I think he suits the Premier League to a T and it's the same with Edo Kayembe who's another player we signed who made his debut today signed him from um, the Belgian League I believe it was Anderlecht uh, he's a Democratic Republic of Congo midfielder uh, can play defensive midfield and also can play left back apparently left footed and is the only way I can explain him is it, it, well at least from watching him for 90 minutes today he's a, he's a bit like a He's a bit like a lanky Kante. He's very, <laughs> he's all round the pitch. He's really good at get, getting in there, nicking the ball. And he worked his ass off today. And I'd say to, to some rewards, um, and I do think a one all, the, the state of the game at half time, one all is, is quite a good result for us because Newcastle were all over us for the first 60 minutes. And that's, that's embarrassing to say. And it seemed that they just kind of turned off, which. I think is a, is a bit of a problem in Newcastle. They do just tend to turn off in that last 20, 25 minutes. They need that second goal to really give them that cushion. And we capitalised from a brilliant Kika Feminia um, cross and met the head of Jao Pedro, who notched it in the top left corner of the net. Watford always quite, you know, they're always really interesting to me with their signings because they don't splash. They've not got the money that a lot of the other Premier League clubs do. So mm. a lot of their signings are quite, shrewd pieces of business and I don't know I, I always like to keep an eye on the players that you guys bring in because as I said you're not out there spending you know the equivalent to the teams around you maybe yeah. Burnley but at the same time most of the other teams in the Premier League are spending decent money now even if they're lower down the table Whereas we, we have we Burnley have one of the best scouting networks in, in the world that's that's yeah. like a, a guarantee the, the Pozzo family and their knowledge of football is Ridiculous, and I, I think they're the third poorest owners in the Premier League. I think I'm right in saying that with only Norwich and Burnley below us. And if you look at some of their, because obviously they've owned Udinese for the past, I, I don't know how long. It must be 15 plus years now, if anyone didn't know. And some of the players that they've been able to scout. I mean, for us, look at Richarlison, look at Jao Pedro, look at Abdullah Decore. For Udinese, I mean, they signed Bruno Fernandez before he was a thing. They signed um, Alexis Sanchez before he was. He was big. They signed Rodrigo de Paul. I mean, look at Rodrigo de Paul. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, and we're lucky that we have someone with that sort of knowledge. It's just the club. The club does seem to be regressing, and that's that's always a concern um, 
for the fan. Do you think it's because of the fact that you do have maybe one of the poorer owners in the league and you don't have the money to keep up? Or do you think the Premier League like payments and everything should be supplementing that to a certain amount where money should be getting spent a bit more freely? Now, I'll, I'll stand by this, that this current like the way the Premier League Premier League is now is it's one of the hardest to compete not just financially but ability wise it seems that every team has not just one but two or three or four superstars and then obviously part of that is money because I mean look at Southampton they were just bought out by some rich consortium obviously Newcastle (laughs) it does seem it's becoming harder and harder to keep up with the amount of money that's flooding in to other teams I, I've always said the Premier League's ruined football, like, completely. It's the only league that has inflated prices to this level. Like, what mm. other league in the world are you... What Sorry, what other country in the world will you pay 15 to 20 million for a second-tier striker that scored 15 goals? In, in, like, what, other, in what other nation in the world are you having fifth-tier players on 10k a week? Fifth-tier? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's Paul Mullen is the best-played player in the National League at Wrexham. He's on over over ten grand a week. That's you wouldn't find. I think for, for most nations in Europe, you'd struggle to find second division players on that much money, let alone fifth. Yeah, no, that's mental. But that that is absolutely crazy. On the topic of transfers, I would like to get your opinion on the Martin Boyle situation, as there's been another bid supposedly tonight. Absolutely, three far away. Uh, so Martin Boyle's a he's a winger for Hibs. I want me to check his age to be completely right. I think he's twenty eight. I think he's twenty eight. Um, yeah. He's yeah he's twenty eight year old. He's known for his pace. He's going to be twenty nine in a couple of months, and when he's one of the quickest players you'll see. But he uses it perfectly, and he gets so many goals. He's probably been one of the not one of he definitely has been one of the standout players. Probably the standout outside of Celtic and Rangers in the league for about three years now. Um, but Hibs have recently received supposedly a £3 million bid or close to, and he's been offered £1.5 million a year. And I think wow. for a player that helped end the 114-year Scottish Cup drought, you know, he helped get us from the Championship back up to the Premier League, he helped get us back into Europe. He's established Hibs as you know, a top four or five team in the Premier League again, like we should be, and he's a main part of all of that. I feel like he doesn't owe the club anything and the club should probably not stand in his way. And I also think for a Scottish Premier League player, two million for a 28-year-old winger, now three million is a crazy, crazy amount of money to reject when he's been offered 1.5 million a year to go over there. That's that's a really interesting side to look at it from because I think when we see players going to the likes of China, America, Middle East, etc., we always say, oh, look, they're winding down their careers, they're going for the money, et cetera, et cetera. If you were in that situation where, you know, you've been in a good league, you've played, your time, you're getting, maybe even getting a little bit bored, do you not think it's completely fair and valid that they go play in a, a weaker team, a, a team with a reputation to sign older players on big money to really give them that nice lifestyle? Can you blame them? And do they deserve it? And I think this is definitely a case with Martin Boyle. As you said, he's done the club a complete service. Do you think it's time to almost let him go and 
allow him that really really nice life that he he will get from moving to is it Saudi Arabia that have bid in him yeah so it, I'd like to touch on that because Martin's not just done a lot for the club his wife left her club because she's a footballer to a Scotland international she left I, I can't remember who she was at but she left her team to move down to Edinburgh to sign for Hibs with Martin so that they could be closer together um, and she's been probably the Hibs women's player's best player for the past three years as well so it's the two of them have done a lot for the club. They've recently had a baby. He's a club legend. I don't like the fact that we're standing in his way to make, before his career runs out at 28-year-old, he deserves a chance to go over there and make, you know, some life-changing money. What would happen with his wife out of interest? I would imagine a club that can pay you like that can figure something out where he's maybe not staying there seven nights a week. He's over for training, maybe the you know start of the week through to the games and he misses maybe a long weekend through to Tuesday or something he can go back home every week in a okay. private jet okay. or whatever because they're it's a team in Saudi Arabia that's trying their best to stay up. Boyle's got a <clears throat> Australian passport as well, which means if they get relegated, he's not a foreigner. He's got that Australian passport which is huge over there. It's massive mm. for Australian players. That's why there's so many of them in the Middle East because that allows them to play in. I, I don't know how it works, but for some reason it's Australia's got some. I don't know because they're not the same continent. I've never understood it, <laughs> but I know it is. The Australian passport is gold in the Middle East. So what about Hibs's window outside of Martin Boyle? Have you have you brought anyone in? I I saw that Norwegian youngster. Tell me about him. Yeah, so. Hibs have spent Hibs's highest transfer fee ever spent is about eight hundred k, and we've spent on one player this window window four hundred k. We've went out and picked up Chris Muller from America, who by all accounts is on a very hefty wage. You know, I I don't know. It's it's been a weird one because Melkishan is someone that, according to Twitter, there was no way he was signing for Hibs when we were linked with him. He What's was name, sorry? Elias Melkerson. Right. Um. So. I, when it, when the links came out, you know, you had the Norwegian, there's surprisingly a lot of Scottish ex-players in Norway. So you had a lot of them on Twitter trying to say, no, there's no way, like absolutely no way Hibs will sign him. No way we can afford it. You know, he's considered their top prospect. He was in the, he was 18 and he got loaned out to the second tier last year. And I'm sure he got 20, ga- 20 goals in 25 games or something like that, um, or close to that stat. And he's only just turned 19 and it's a big fee for a club like Hibs to pay in you know, 400k. I think it goes to show a couple of months ago, Hibbs's CEO gave an interview um, and he was talking about how financially the club isn't too far away from, the, he, he didn't name check them, but he said the top two in the league, Celtic and Rangers. Um, and I think that might be due to the new owners coming in because Maloney's coming from Belgium and I, I don't think there's any chance Hibbs haven't given him a fat paycheck as well to leave the Belgium assistant manager's job to come and manage it, Hibs at the moment, because just before the World Cup, and he's come in and he's been back to the hiltless window. He's only been in for about, since two weeks before January, and we've signed five players, two of them are on pre-contracts, but we brought in four or five players as well, which is, again, it's for a January transfer window, that's an impressive feat. And I'd also like to shout out Ewan Henderson signing. Um, 
went to school with him and his big brother scored, uh, set up two goals in the Scottish Cup final. So for a player out of sync at Celtic, I can't think of anywhere else would fit for him. You know, it's not going well for him at Celtic. He's got a family connection at the club. You know fine well he's going to come in and the, the club already adore his brother. So he's going to get that little bit of leeway. Um, I don't know, I just, it's been a different window for him. You don't usually see clubs making this many signings in a January transfer mm. window. But I think for a club that Hibs were sitting second or top for a long time and then it just fell apart. Like, it fell apart to the point that we were sitting eighth or ninth in the league when Maloney came in. Um, am I am I right in saying that um, Ewan Henson's older brother is Liam Henderson, the Serie A midfielder? Yes. And Ewan is, you know, often being called the better brother, but... He is also younger, so right. Interesting. No, that does sound for a team like Hibs from my kind of very British Premier League perspective. That does sound quite quite impressive. Now, as a Scotsman, can you tell me what what has happened to Ryan Gould? Because last season and in the summer, we were hearing this rumours he was in second division in Portugal. He was the best player in the league at twenty one or however however old he was. What He's... I haven't heard. A squeak about him this season. What's what's gone wrong or what's happened? Um, nothing. He's moved to Vancouver. So Ryan Gold's a Ryan Gold's one of the most frustrating cases possible because he was struggling for a long time after leaving Dungeon United. He made forty appearances from Dungeon United by the time he was like seventeen years old, which is ridiculous. Um, and then he went to Sporting, and things fell apart for a little bit. But then he got loaned out to a team in the second tier and he, he was absolutely brilliant. He came to Hibs on loan for a wee while and you could see the talent in him. He didn't quite click, but you could see the talent there. Um, and then he went back to the Portuguese team that he was in the second tier and they were in the top tier at that point. And Ryan Gold won the player of the year. He was getting everyone saying like, he's, he's finally living up to this potential. He's still not had a sniff of a Scotland call up. And for some reason, oh, wow. despite, yeah, despite being, you know, his performances were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He's a very special player, but nobody was interested in him for some reason. It's as if the failed wonder kid thing stuck with him because he wasn't at a top team in Portugal. He was strutting his stuff in the top tier, but a newly promoted team. So no one was really paying attention. And his contract ran out, I think, and he ended up going over to Vancouver and He's already won their um, Best Newcomer Award. He's broken a few records since he went over there. I'm, I'm sure he assisted a few and scored a few in his first few games. Um, like he, he's been different class since he went over. But again, it, it's a shame because it's he did have that failed wonder kid tag on him. and I feel like that's kind of hampered him because he, he is, without a doubt, good enough to be playing in the Premier League right now. And it's not a case of his talent hasn't lived up to it. He's playing like that player now. Just nobody's noticing. Literally nobody's taking notice. And that includes the Scotland manager. And everyone else in Scotland sitting just completely bemused at it, uh, thinking, you know, we've got this very special talent there that is finally developing into the player we wanted him to be, and he's over in Canada. Not- well, I apologise for saying what's what's gone wrong, because looking at the stats, you're absolutely right. And in the top, top Portuguese division last year at the age of 24... He got nine goals and seven assists in a team that I can't imagine were favourites to do 
um, to do very well. And by looking back at it now, are back in the second division. So yep. that's even more impressive than I initially thought. He's also, I think a big credit to that's been his position change. He's gone from being like a number 10 tricky winger kind of player that's got an eye for a pass. They've put him back and he's never boxed a box midfielder. So you get that talent and, you know, he drifts past players as if they're not there. Um, I remember for Hibs, uh, outside of the foot, like spinning pass that he played him to split the defence just along the ground. Absolutely brilliant technique. You get that in him, but he's also got an incredible work rate. And they've turned him into a full-blown box-to-box midfielder. And I just think how useful that could be in the Premier League, having someone that's, you know, they've got the energy to go box-to-box, but they've also got the ability to pop it through someone's legs and then put it in the top corner if they want. Mm. Speaks the language as well. And no work permit issues. I don't know if Scottish is that speaking the language. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, if it sounds like you, then no, definitely not. This next section is something we'd like to introduce in the weekly podcast where we go out and look for young players that no one's really heard of and who might suit a Premier League team, a Championship team, a European team. And we're thinking of kind of alternating. Um, So this week I've gone on a little search to the second division in the Netherlands, um, which I believe is called the Eerst Divisie. Um, And I apologise if there are any... Dutch listeners because I've probably butchered that <laughs> pronunciation. Uh, the, the first player I'd like to look at is a guy called Johan Bakayoko and he's in the PSV youth team. We've already mentioned PSV um, and he caught my eye because he scored four goals today against uh, VVV Venlo who were in the Eredivisie last, last season so aren't the weakest opposition but he looks like a right prospect. He's 18 years old, uh, five foot ten plays on the right wing in in hilariously Rude van Nistelrooy's 4-4-2. Um, yeah, Rude <laughs> van Nistelrooy managing the young PSV team, which is the um, young PSV, the kind of second team in the second division. He's quick, agile. His positional awareness is ridiculous for an 18-year-old. He finds little pockets of space to attack in, turns defenders with ease, and also has quite a powerful shot. It kind of reminds me of Luis Diaz, who's got a 60 million price tag on his head currently. He was bought from Anderlecht uh, a couple of years ago. And in 20 games, in only 17 starts, he's got 11 goals and six assists with a goal and assist per game of, of just over one, which off the right wing is, is remarkable, to be honest. He got four goals today, as I mentioned, um, and seven goal contributions in his last two games which is 10 goal, makes 10 goal contributions in the last five, <laughs> which is just ludicrous for an 18-year-old. He's netting every 139 minutes and completes 2.1 dribbles per game, the fourth best in the league. And all the players above him are kind of established Eredivisie stars already. He's likely to be called up to the senior PSV squad under the aforementioned Roger Schmidt. So he probably won't come at too cheap a price, but he's left-footed, he's fast, he's got an eye for dribbling in space down the wing. I think he'd be a brilliant signing for a Premier League team. And there's one that comes to mind. Now, who can are looking like they're going to lose their star right winger in the January or at the very least in the summer? Uh, Leeds. Bang on. 
Uh, Rafinha has obviously been linked to Liverpool and Bayern Munich and looks like he might be on his way out of Ellen Road in the summer. Could Johan Bakayoko be the replacement for Marcel Bielsa's team? In a, in a league where Klaas Jan Hutela, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and more recently Memphis Depay all made their names, could Bakayoko be the next superstar? <coughs> um, I, I don't know about his age. I think possibly yes. But then part of me would worry. Rafinha does a lot for leads and they do rely on him a lot of the time for creativity at times. And I wonder if losing a player like that and replacing him with an 18-year-old, I wonder how much is going to be on his shoulders, if there'd be too much. Because he would be hyped as a very good young prospect. And I think I think Leeds would be perfect for him in terms of a place that play, they play decent football. You know, they, they want to score goals. They want mm. to do things most of the time the right way. Um it would be a good, Bielsa's good at developing young players. I think it would be good, but it's a big club as well. And I, I would worry in case there's the, we do see too often younger players coming over at the Premier League and there's too much pressure piled on them. So I'd Completely. hope that he, he gets given the space and time to develop like he should be. Stats-wise, he looks like a very, very good prospect. Yeah. The only other thing I'd be concerned about is he, he's actually got one of the highest distance travelled per game for a winger which you think kind of plays into the hands of Marcelo Bielsa's hard working uh, full 90 minute kind of style but he actually by the looks of it struggles especially at the start of the season struggle to finish a game whether Marcelo Bielsa's really hard strict um, high endurance kind of style of play would be a good fit. It's it's 50-50 whether, whether that would get the best out of him and transform who he is as a player or really wear him down and, you know, we, we see a kind of repeat of Alexander Pato where he was played far too much, got way too many injuries and it just ruined his career. Yeah, I think I'm hoping that with the whole sports, uh, sports side of football that that isn't too much of a problem at the moment. But then you look at Pedri, and, mm. you know, personally, I thought the amount of games he played was shocking last season. Um, and I don't know, you do sort of wonder if he'd come to Leeds and maybe if he'd had hit the ground running, it would be a case of, right, he's 18, but he's good enough to play every single week, not giving him that breather every now and then and taking him out of the team. To... It also helps at that age for the whole ego check side of it, you know, remind them that there is someone else there. And I don't know, I, I think Leeds is... They're not doing as well at the moment as well. So I wonder if it would be the right place for him to go in terms of would there be too much pressure on him as a new signing and, you know, this hot young prospect that can try and change their fortunes around. He would also likely cost quite an extortionate amount because he's got quite a long time left on his deal. And, I mean, the Eredivisie isn't the, the lowest reputation league out there so it's 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 likely he would demand quite a hefty a hefty price I don't know because Celtic signed that Diamakis and he was his stats last season I'm sure he had 25 goals in 25 games at one point um, in the top league and he went to Celtic for pennies compared to what a player with those stats would go to any other league for 
So I still think it's, I don't know if you'd have to pay as much as you would for, say, is it like a Spanish team or something? I still think you'd get maybe what, 50 million, 20 million max? I was, I think, yeah, it'd be, it'd probably, well, it'd be, personally, I think it'd be in the 20 million plus mark. Um, I don't know. I, I just did well to get him for under 20 million. I think he can still steal players in that league. I honestly do. I, I still think it's a criminally undervalued league. Mm. But again, I, I don't know. I, I'm only basing it on the fact that I was mind blown at how cheap Celtic were able to get that Marcus, who by all accounts looks hopeless now. But last season he had a scary, scary record in that um, Dutch league. And it's just, I, it was pennies and it's not worked for them in Scotland. And I do wonder if they could maybe get him on a cup price deal with the fact that it is the Dutch league, unfortunately, and it's an undervalued place. If he was in England, I definitely think you'd be getting seen stupid prices like 50 million. Yeah, absolutely. 